This is Shark Tales, a new podcast from NBC10 Boston that takes a deep dive into sharks. Wayne Davis is the eye in the sky for researchers while they search for sharks in Cape Cod waters. He has been fish spotting for decades and spends hours in his plane looking for great white sharks and helps guide boats to their location. His role is incredibly important to shark research, but there is a lot more to know about this one-of-a-kind guy. Don't just take it from me. Listen to the man himself as we go over everything from wonders of the ocean to cheap beer. This is Rob Michelson with NBC10 Boston. I'm here with Wayne Davis, who is a fish spotter who's working with the Conservancy. I've heard your voice on the boat when I've been out with them a couple times. So this is the first time I've seen you in person. Welcome. It's great to see you. And how are you Thank feeling you. today? Good. Yep. Real good. Yep. Yep. In the heart of the season now. Nice weather. And it must be weird to be on land because you usually spend so much time in the sky. Do you ever, does it feel different? Uh, oh, no. Not, not really. Everybody <laughs> thinks that. Uh, no, I, I spend most of my time on the ground riding around. Jumping overboard or, you know, swimming and things like that, gardening, but uh, fish spotting, you know, flying on an airplane to find things in the water. It's been my summertime occupation since 1973. 1973. So this has been decades. All all in this area? Uh, no, I've uh, fish spotted uh, here, a little bit down the Caribbean, the Mediterranean, Southern California, swordfish spotting. Do you have a favorite spot? Uh, if one one spot I could spend. An ideal weather situation at forever, it would be uh, Corsair Canyon. It's a place on the edge of the continental shelf. It's now in Canadian waters on the southeast part of George's Bank. Corsair Canyon, terrific place. From your experience, what makes Cape Cod different? Cape Cod has just got so much variety. It, you know, it changes the, the lights, changing every minute. Clouds, wind, tide, muddy water, clear water. It's, it's, it's constant variety, constant change. Uh, you know the migrating fish, migrating birds. It's just, it's just too much to look at. You can't even take it all in. There's so much. It's never the same day twice. I would imagine. Oh no, no. Just, just like fishing. Uh, no two days are alike. And how did you get into this line of work? You know, when you were younger, were you like, I want to be up in the sky, I want to be over the ocean. You know, which kind of came first, the love of the ocean or the love of the sky? I grew up in a fishing village, Galilee, in uh, Narragansett, Rhode Island, the the, the port of Point Judith. Uh, Fishing in the family, and, you know, if a kid who grew up in a fishing village, you went fishing. And from there, you know, as I became a teenager, I would go out in the summertime and go sword fishing, which is very exciting, especially for a kid. And when I was a teenager sword fishing, there were a few of the of my predecessors, fish spotters, in the early days of fish spotting for swordfish. And... You know, being a post-World War II kid, watching a lot of war movies and airplanes, I was always uh, intrigued with airplanes. And, you know, honestly, until those guys, you know, a couple of guys, my parents' generation came along and went fish spotting, I, I never even imagined myself uh, flying an airplane. Never never crossed my mind. And uh, so when I became a young adult, uh, I did, did a stint in the Army, got out of the Army and, and went fishing full-time as a deckhand, made some money, went sword fishing in the summertime, decided uh, I, I had to get a license. So I went away, spent a couple of months to get a pilot's license, came home, uh, worked worked hard fishing on deck, saved some money and bought an airplane. That was 1973. Like, do you get a certain amount of money per fish you see? Like, how's the whole system Oh, back, back in the day, you know, when, when I first started, I... Gee whiz, I think I got, 
I think I started out like getting $75 per swordfish and no expense money. And that was, oh, I didn't know it at the time. It sounded pretty good to me, but that was, the, the case was the boat was taking advantage of the fish spotter. And then we moved to getting paid X dollars for a fish and they would pay for our fuel bill. And then, then as the time went on, we started paying and getting an hourly rate plus the fish. And we got into chasing bluefin tuna and guys were getting 25% of the gross, but if they didn't catch any fish, you got nothing. Mm. And so there was 25 and I eventually went to a, a bigger percentage. Take it or leave it, you know. Yeah. Capitalism at work, man. That's right. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, there's, you know, over the years, believe me, uh, all the time I've been fish spotting now, there have been anti-fish spot, fish spotting people. Really? Oh, oh, yeah. I don't know much about the fish spotting world, so why are they anti-fish spotting? Because they don't have one. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's an advantage if you have a fish spotter. They well, can of go course it is, but, but the people, you know, all through all the fisheries, would always complain, oh, they have an unfair advantage, unfair advantage. Many of us fish spotters have tricked these anti-fish spotters before by saying, hey, we'll fly for you for a day. Oh, yeah, would you? Oh, I love fish spotting now. (laughs) (laughs) I never even thought of that because if you don't have a fish spotter. Oh, it's real. Yeah. But it it took me about 30 years to figure out, you know, with with all the controversy of fish spotters, you know, uh, fishermen with or without a, a, uh, a guy to fly for them, the thing that makes harpooning any kind of fish, in my estimation, profitable is the advantage of an airplane. Right. Without it, you have guys, they, they can make a living doing it, but even paying the plane 25 or 30%, you're going to do better. And, and, and l- until you've had someone fly for you, you won't believe it. Wow. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's, a- it's what makes that fishery efficient enough so that you can do it and make money. What is it like to just be in the sky, kind of seeing the world from that perspective for a lot of your day? If you're up in the air for hours and hours on end, you know, what is it like to have that be your work day? Well, you know, like I said before, it's it's always changing and uh, no two days are the same. And, you know, you're covering different parts of the ocean and looking, looking for different things, even, even though, you know, my latest several years are, just looking for sharks, there's, there's so much more to look at uh, and see. It just makes it interesting. I've become thoroughly addicted to looking at things for, for my <laughs> living. I mean, that's what I enjoy. You know, I mean, looking at things and watching what fish are doing, watching what the birds are doing. And, and in the last uh, 10 or 15 years when, you know, digital photography has become so prevalent, it makes, makes it easier for guys like me. I've seen your photos. You got some great shots. Do you have any favorites among uh, among those? Uh, no, they're all kinds they're all of great. favorites. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you know, swordfish and tuna and whales. And actually, these these white sharks, it, it's it's what I do now, and it is fun. I mean, I'm having I'm really having the time of my life here on the Cape. But uh, white sharks are are not are not colorful. They're gray. You know, they they're kind of like swimming along in dirty water when. Mm. You know, I could be 150 miles offshore, swim, uh, flying over the edge of the Gulf Stream, and seeing all kinds of wild stuff out there. It, it's much, much more colorful out there, and uh, it, plus the excitement and the adventure, if you will, of you know, flying 150 miles offshore. You know, a couple hours offshore sometimes, and 
you, it's it's exciting. You don't know what it's like when you're going to get back here. And <laughs> but uh, flying along the beach, it's uh, it's like a day off. Hey, and mm. it's relaxing. It's like a day at the beach. Oh yeah, except you're in the air. Yep. <laughs> and how do you pass the time up there? Because uh, yes, strictly just looking, looking around. Yeah, strictly looking. Although. <laughs> So some of the scientists on the boat lately, uh, you know, on a, on a slow day, I'll break out my phone and text friends as I'm flying along <laughs> looking for sharks. It's you, you, if if they're up, you're not gonna miss them. You know, you just look out the window most of the time and <laughs> do a little texting or whatever you're doing. And I've even gotten to taking a few pictures and sending them out and putting them on Facebook while the get up to your social media. You know, while the scientists are down on the boat saying, "What the heck is he doing?" <laughs> the the excitement from the scientists. Must be exciting for you because they're like, oh yeah, okay, we're going after shark. It's almost like you're 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 the head, you're the scout. No, they're they're much more excited than I am. It's just, <laughs> uh, it's just it's it's the job, but it's not like a job. You know, you find a shark and you bring them to it, and and that's uh, that's really the the unexciting part of you know the the exciting part is finding them and and getting them to them, and and then you get down to the technical part of steering them to each fish sure and because you have to say okay a little bit to the left a little bit to the right now it's behind you and it's almost like you're trying to like get get somebody on a target but they're blindfolded it's almost like a pin the tail on the donkey yeah yeah but (laughs) that's right and and, uh invariably when people haven't driven a boat being directed by someone you can almost see them down there swiveling their head around trying to (laughs) trying to figure what i'm seeing and uh, sometimes uh a guy will be driving a boat, a rookie, basically won't be listening to me. And I'll, so I'll have to get a hold of him. I say, hey, listen, make this easy on yourself. Just do what I tell you. That's what right. Simon says. <laughs> That's <you all>. know? <laughs> Yeah. Okay, turn to starboard. He turns to starboard and he stops turning. I didn't tell you to stop turning, you know. Just do do exactly what I say. You've been doing you, this for decades. Right. You, know, yeah. you, know, you know your stuff. You know your ocean. Like, what's your favorite time to be out there? Uh, there's no special time. Uh, probably the, the the least special time is is when it's is when it's hot. Mm, yeah. You know, and it, it, it's sweltering up there. But I mean, it's it's all enjoyable. I mean, all you got to do is swivel your head around, see what's going on. I mean, uh, I've had you know several times earlier in in my fish spotting career on a slow day sword fishing. You're out there. You might be 150 miles offshore, and you're jamming around back and forth over the ocean, wandering around and seeing nothing. And what the heck am I doing out here? But, <laughs> but you know, when when you put the hours in, and that's what any any fisherman you got to put the time in. Yeah. And it's a very time-consuming job. And but this we got this uh, science project. It's a six-hour-a-day flight. You know. When you're up there spotting, is there any time you kind of been fooled by something you thought it was like a, a big fish or anything like that oh yeah yeah that, what, what have been some examples uh well when i first started flying right here along the shore in chatham and you know the south uh, southeastern cape there was one bit of bottom we call it, we now call it a a, a bottom feature a bf <laughs> there was a there was a log in an area down on monomoy that was in mostly murky water and that thing tricked me three or four times i Thought it was a shark, and it's still down there, but it doesn't trick me and anymore. It, yeah, you know, you're yeah. like I'm, I'm wise to your yeah, tricks, right. you know. <laughs> yeah. But one thing I know about you, from what I've, what I've gathered so far, you seem to be pretty carefree. You know, you seem to be kind of a relaxed guy, kind of you know slow. <laughs> get, I'll get there when I get there. We'll make things happen. Am I correct? Uh, you are. You're correct. a relaxed guy. Yeah. 
to be over the ocean, just kind of like I feel like that is that your Zen? Is that like your meditation? I'm not a philosophical guy at all. <laughs> I don't I don't believe in philosophies. Uh, uh, my life, I don't plan anything. I live minute to minute, and what I feel like doing, I do. And if I don't feel like doing, <laughs> I don't do anything. <laughs> well, I'm glad you feel like shark yeah. spotting. You know, because oh yeah, it's been so interesting. Because as I've been following the research and talking to the scientists, it's just to be a part of the whole process of researching them. And to kind of help out with that, it must be like you're kind of like a part of something. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, the, the way I looked at it when I, when I first uh, agreed to spot back in 2014, I figured, you know, it's just uh, I'm spotting. And, and the other, when we, about the time we began, we also figured that I'd, I'd photograph each shark alongside the boat to get a size comparison to figure out how big each shark was. And so that was like two duties I had. And uh, as time went by, you know, we started learning things about the about, about the sharks, you know, for decades, you know, since Jaws and Blue Water or White Death before that. <laughs> these things were just savage beasts out there swimming around trying to find people to Oh, eat, just hunting you know? them down, looking they, for they were, legs. They were man-eaters. <laughs> oh, gosh, but, yeah. But they're not. Yeah. They're not. And, uh, you know, the... Motto of the Conservancy is w- awareness inspires conservation. Of right. course, that was that was meant for conservation of sharks, but it's also the awareness inspires people to look out for themselves and conserve themselves. Be safe, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's awareness. It's all about awareness. And I've told told many people about you know sharks swimming nonchalantly up and down the beach, and I even used uh, some a guy who who I know fishes and has dived for decades. I, I suggested, or I, or I told him, I said, sharks swimming peacefully up and down the beach. He's been peaceful, huh? <laughs> I said, yeah, peaceful. I mean, they're not looking for us. I mean, I've seen them fly, swim by tens of thousands of people, surfers, boogie boarders, people, you know, swimming on the beach. And they just nonchalantly swim by. Uh, and never once have I seen a shark even take a turn toward a, towards some people right. because people were thrashing in the in the surf but most of the time you know in rare occasions i mean a lot of times the sharks are very close to the beach but the percentage of the beach that's covered with people bathing is a very small percentage of all the beaches right so the chances of a shark being right next to the beach where there are people it's pretty slim I know a lot of times when you look in news articles, you'll see like, oh, this shark was a foot away from this family, and they didn't even know. It's like, yeah, that probably happens a lot more than people think. Oh, it does. Yeah. yeah. I have several pictures of surfers and uh, swimmers, you know, with sharks not that far from them, and they and you can you can see that they're totally unaware. Since you've been working with sharks uh, with the Conservancy, have you learned any new shark facts you never knew before or anything? Uh, yeah, like one that? interesting one that I found out the year before last or that suddenly dawned on me was, uh, okay, I, I'm into into the sixth season of flying strictly for white sharks here on the Cape, up and down the beach, and I've seen in that time a dozen or 15 predations, mm-hmm. sharks eating seals. And it never dawned on, on me until... The summer before last, I, I saw a predation start to finish, and, and all the other predations I had ever seen, I had only seen one shark and no other sharks trying to get at this seal. Right. One shark, one seal. That's it. And it didn't dawn on me until, like I say, this this one instance of the year before last, a shark had a seal, 
It nonchalantly swims around the seal as it bleeds to death, loses any strength that it can fight back with. And this one instance, there were two other sharks on the scene. Uh, both, they were both swimming by north, northbound, and one of them came by close to the shark. The shark that the perpetrator, he was nonchalantly swimming around. This other one came by. He might have been 15 or 20 feet away. The water was as clear as it gets around here. The, the shark... The non-perpetrator, he just, he might have taken a glance at it. It just swam on by like nothing was going on. Wow. About 10 minutes after that, another one came by. And the old, uh, you know, the scientists will tell you, I don't know what the exact figures are, but a, 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 white, a shark can smell a drop of blood in 5 trillion gallons of water or yeah. whatever it is. And these things aren't, aren't at all uh, disturbed or brought to awareness of a bloody event. They just keep on going. And, it, hmm. and since, so I've seen like three or four more predations since that event. And I realized that in the white shark world, at least around here, there is no such thing as a feeding frenzy. There is no such thing. From the old time shark movies. Oh, and, yeah. It's and like sharks feeding coming frenzies. up everywhere. You know, like out, out in the deep sea when the Indian, Indianapolis sunk back in World War II, I mean, those uh, deep water sharks, they did have a feeding frenzy. As a kid, when I was sword fishing offshore, we'd be dressing swordfish, you know, taking the guts out of them and throwing their heads overboard and stuff like that. We would have feeding frenzies out there with blue sharks and mako sharks. I mean, they're battling each other, biting each other. But I got a feeling, there's no way that I'll ever prove this, and I'm not a scientist, but, you know, over the eons that white sharks have been around, it's it's part of their heredity that uh, it's it's bred into them that we don't fight with each other because we're going to get hurt. That's right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> they both have the raised sharp yep. teeth. It's like mutual destruction. Yep. They're both like little swimming nuclear bombs. That's that. right. <laughs> and and the, the other, the, one of the big scientific things that uh, an unknown as far as I know is how often these darn things eat. You know, like I said, uh, this is my sixth season here. I've seen about 15 predations. Only been out there two to three days a week, six hours a day, so it's a very small percentage of the total time in the shark's world. But to see that few predations tells me or suggests to me that they don't eat often. Right. Because they, they might take down 300 pounds of blubber, so that's going to last a while. That's a meal. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. And, and, and I've seen them take a good-sized seal, and in two minutes the thing is gone. But like to be able to sit there and just look... And that that that's a skill because <laughs> that's patience. Yeah, you, you know, have patience. I, I'm not. I'm, believe me, I'm not a patient person for for <laughs> you know all all the stuff that we're required to do with our bills and paying attention to regulations and stuff. I'm, I'm terrible. Yeah, I have no patience at all. I think I use up all my patience while I'm flying. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. for decades flying out there in the summer, flying around, and a lot of times not not seeing anything and. Searching the ocean. I mean, I've gone for for weeks, uh, you know, without without uh, seeing enough to make any money at times. Yeah. But all in all, it's it's been pretty good. It seems like you've had a very good career, and with with shark spotting, is there anything that, that you, is kind of your white whale, no pun intended, of like of spotting you'd like to do, or any any fish you'd like to look for, or kind of where? Well, like yeah, to... uh, you know, this shark spotting is kind of like relegated me to the beach. For, yeah. for quite a while now, and and this year even more. I won't bore you with the details, but uh, yeah, I just like to get get way offshore 
and see things that I've only seen gotten glimpses of. And, and one of the big ones, there, there's a couple of varieties of beaked whales that are way offshore here that no one sees. And I also want to get way out in the deep somewhere. You know, it'll probably be like a couple of hundred miles south of Nantucket or southeast of Nantucket, way out in the deep where uh, I want to see the mother load of sperm whales mm -hmm. all up there spouting together. I've had a couple of ocean-going uh, merchant marine buddies who have, you know, been uh, left ports in the United States like New York and uh, and uh, and uh, Florida mm -hmm. and go off east and tell me about seeing, you know, like dozens and dozens of sperm whales spouting. But you never see that along the shore. If I look hard, I can find them every year. But it would be fun to see a real, real pod of them. Being a shark spotter, are there any inside jokes you have with the scientists? Uh, do you have any, like, running gags or uh, <laughs> any? Uh... Uh, one of my favorite is one, one of my, my stand-ins, a, a young kid who flew with me, started a few years ago. I won't mention his name, but he knows who I'm talking about. All right. So if, he's, if you're listening right now, we were, this one's for you. <laughs> we were, uh, I had started a day fish spotting, and uh, my, uh, my VHF radio, the one I talked to the boat on, crapped out. So I had to come in and get it fixed. I came into the airport, and this young gentleman was in his plane. He was ready to go out and do something else. I said, hey, buddy, go out and take over for me, you know. So he did. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, it was great. He, five minutes later, he was at the boat covering for me, doing a job, getting paid. And I said, well, my uh, repair job was more than I thought. So I said to myself, well, I'm going to go out and help anyway. I'm going to find sharks. Right. And report to him on the aircraft radio, and he'd, he'd report to the boat. And this was the very start of the day. No one had seen a shark at all. And I went out, and I almost immediately found a shark. And I just got this little brainstorm. I said, hey, buddy. Hey, let's have a, have a little contest here. The guy who finds the first shark, mind you, I had already found the first shark. Oh, oh there we go. The guy who finds the first shark, the other guy buys him a beer. All right. He says, yeah, okay. <laughs> I said, all right, I got one right here. <laughs> you know, that, that's the thing. You got the free beer, you know, and yeah. uh, wins and, a win. <laughs> and, and, he, and he said, oh, jeez, I should have known. And, uh, and it, w it was a PBR? Was it a, a better? I mean, if, it's so, if somebody else is buying, then you want to go for the better beer, right? No, I, I just <laughs> so go for the same cheap stuff. Yeah. You're, you're a cheap beer guy. That's the thing. Yep. You know, you keep it simple. Yep. You, you take it slow, and you kind of do what you want. And uh, I think that's a, it's a good qualities for a fish spotter. I just like doing it. Uh, you know, I was a, a deckhand on a fishing boat all, you know, eight, eight months of the year. And it gave me a chance to do something exciting and get off the boat for the summer probably saved my life because i think i would have been fried and dead with skin cancer for oh, right. if, I, if i'd stayed on the boat in the summertime a little better in the plane you got shade uh, mostly yeah mostly. Uh, <laughs> the audience can't see but I'm a, little, I'm a little bit pale i don't get much sun well uh, you have a nice tan though you know uh try not to but you know <laughs> i do i imagine if you're looking at the ocean so long if you're just like hanging out at your home or something like that and you close your eyes do you just like see the ocean it's just like it's just like in your like. No, I, I've I've dreamt a lot, uh, a lot of a lot of flying dreams. Of course, they're all, always weird things. You know, something trying to bite you. I don't mean a shark trying to bite you. I mean, <laughs> I'm a your, your airplane. No, your airplane's <laughs> trying to roll over while you're flying it or something like that. Yeah. But uh, what was the question? Refresh oh, did, my no, memory. No, so when you close your eyes, like, or, oh. or maybe when you get these flying dreams, like, do you do you ever just like close your eyes and you just like see the ocean? You know, sometimes like. You're just like you just visualize it. No, you no. Look at it so much. Uh, well, one one thing that's 
comparable to to what you're suggesting yeah. is that I, I keep my house, my walls filled with all my photos. I, I like seeing what I've seen and in, in the photos I've taken. Yeah. Yep. I mean, so basically, you go from flying around the ocean, then you come home. Yeah. And there's the ocean. Yeah. You like the ocean, Wayne. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I grew up, you know, across the street. I had a beach right across the street down in uh, down in Narragansett. Lived it my whole life so far. And for the mm. audience, he just knocked on some wood. Mm. So, <laughs> and uh, I guess like one one question I always li- always like to ask people is, uh, what's the question you wish that people would ask you? Like, what's something that you wish you could share that you know maybe something that people? The thing that uh, I wish I could share that I wish I could convey to yes. people, uh, you know, environmentalism is a great thing. Mm-hmm. Any of us with a half a brain are environmentalists. <laughs> Uh, as a fisherman, as a commercial fisherman, deckhand, we have been beaten over the head with environmentalism for a long time. And people have come to believe that the ocean is a putrid cesspool of floating plastic everywhere. I mean, there are problems out there. But get aboard with me and fly offshore and see what you see. You see a big beautiful ocean there are there are downsides to a lot of commercial fishing and but we've learned a lot and uh over the years you know i'm talking as a as a deckhand now we, yeah we fish differently than we did um what's a fun fact about you or something a, a unique thing that you do fun uh, wayne facts yeah oh boy oh boy <laughs> i'm trying to think oh uh, i don't know if i'm on a boat and it's swimming season i like to jump overboard wherever the heck i am just jump right in, just oh, like yeah. without a care in the world. Oh yeah, no matter yep. what you're wearing, you know. Just uh, no, no, I'm rigged out for it. Yeah, whether yeah. it's offshore or inshore here, or, I don't. Know, I just I love to swim, and uh, probably the weirdest thing about me, I I don't know what I'm doing five minutes from now. <laughs> Again, you're. I mean, we're we're doing this interview. Like five minutes from now, you could be off. Uh, you know, jumping in the water. Yeah. You could be off. Uh, maybe doing some uh, crocheting. We don't know. You know, I might get out of here, and it might be glassy common i might run up the airport and go out and fly around for 15 minutes but you're not a man with an agenda uh, no no <laughs> no i'm i i uh i lack uh, focus also <laughs> and, and it's, it's ironic that for a man who focuses so much for a godlike focus some would say on spotting fish and looking over the ocean you're a leaf in the wind well that's funny you say that because uh uh and in my later years I never know where all my stuff is, and I people say, "Well, well, how come you don't get more organized?" They, well, I, I use I've, I've used up all my focus fish biting. I, right. I don't have any more, you know. There's none left. <laughs> you know, uh, best of luck out there in the skies, and uh, you know, next time I see you, I don't know what you'll be doing. You don't know what you'll be doing. No, heck no. But, but I hope nope. you're having fun. Yeah, thanks very much, Rob. <laughs> Thank uh, you very much. Pleasure to uh, convey the experience. All right, well, in five minutes, I will. Uh, maybe, maybe burritos? No. <laughs> PBR. Hi, <laughs> PBR and burritos. Mm. All right, thanks, Wayne. <laughs> Thank you for joining in on another episode of Shark Tales. Make sure to subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast provider to get new episodes right when they come out. Don't forget to check out our weekly show on YouTube and Instagram and come back for even more exclusive shark features.